the best interviews, the best commentary. This is the best of the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. My guest tonight writes articles about entrepreneurs, business owners, YouTubers, and other fascinating people. You can check out these articles and tons of other great content on his website, quintinsuper.com. Quentin, thanks for coming in. How are you? I'm amazing, Trevor. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to doing this. Well, we were introduced through a networking group in Rogers called Inspired Minds. So with starting your business, have networking groups had a positive impact on you? And if so, is there anything particular that you have learned that has had the biggest impact on you so far? Networking groups like Inspired Minds have had a positive impact. And I think more, moreover, this year in 2023, I've learned the importance of getting in front of people. So with the pandemic the last couple of years and people's reluctance to kind of travel or get out of the house, a lot of interactions were occurring via Zoom. But particularly in 2022 and then in 2023, I thought, you know what, I want to talk to more people but I don't just want to pitch them on Instagram or via email or whatever. Like that has its place and its role, but it's so much more fun to actually sit down with someone in person. And so whether that's conducting an interview or just networking and meeting people, uh, yeah, ton of power to actually getting out there in the public and inter- interacting with people. Establishing that that human connection. We 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 had you scheduled to come in today at, at uh, nine o'clock to record this interview, and we were talking off the air for for 90 minutes. So I feel like when you find those connections with with people, like-minded individuals, small business owners, it's important to to establish those connections. Has that been challenging for you as a new business owner, but more so also post-COVID, do you feel it has been a challenge? Challenge in the sense of like interacting with business owners specifically? That, but also just sort of reestablishing some contacts that maybe you had prior to, to COVID and lockdowns. I have not, you know, to be honest, man, I did not even really care about COVID. Like, I think it was like two, three weeks after COVID started and the weather here in Minnesota got a little bit nicer. Like, my buddies and I were back out riding our bikes, you mm-hmm. know, around northern Minnesota on the luxurious trails that we have. No, I, as far as like having to kind of reintegrate socially or kind of get my feet under me a little bit. I, I fortunately did not have any issues with that, but I do know some people who did. You know, they kind of got confined to the basement or their home, and when they had to kind of make an appearance outside of that, things were challenging. But, no, I, I can't stand being inside all day. So I was I was out there right away. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Osseo, Minnesota, the big city. <laughs> what was your childhood like? Very average, basic, middle-class, two-parent household. That in itself made me wealthy, in all honesty. Uh, I have to give so much credit to my parents who were hard on me, and at the time I hated them for it, but today uh, it's a gift. You know, They can't really give me anything materially that would supersede the, the values and the upbringing that I had, to be honest. Did you know early in your life what what you wanted to do? Absolutely not. You know, I was like a lot of kids who, you know, I was pretty tall, but I was also um, very, very skinny. But I wanted to go play in the NBA. And, you know, very quickly you realize, like, okay, uh, a 6'5 white guy weighing 160 pounds, like that's probably not going to happen. You know, after that, I kind of had to re-identify myself after the 11th grade when, you know, I wasn't playing basketball anymore, at least for like the varsity team. And, you know, so for many years I was just kind of, I would call myself an in-betweener, like, wasn't necessarily at the lowest rung of the social ladder in terms of popularity, but 
by no means was I getting any female attention or was I particularly popular. Like, I was just a guy who was aimless, like I imagine a lot of people are between ages 16 to 20. You mentioned playing basketball. Did you have a specific moment when you realized, obviously, I I mean, for me, Quentin, I I grew up loving the game. I, I still love the game of basketball. And when you're in second, third, fourth, fifth grade, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty good. And then I got to a point in seventh grade and eighth grade where some of these other kids from other schools start coming in and there's some, you know, new kids that move to town and you're like, wow, they're stronger than me and they're faster than me. And then I got to like ninth, 10th grade and I'm like, I'm not playing anymore. And I still love the game. And that's when I kind of made the transition to, I'm not going to play anymore, but I want to announce. And I started announcing the the games at, at my high school. But was there a specific moment for you where you're like, hey, I can take a thousand shots a night in my driveway. I don't I don't think I'm going to go play for the Timberwolves anytime soon. Uh, there wasn't a specific moment, Trevor. It was probably just like I had gotten either dunked on and felt horrible or... You know, again, like, I'm not very gifted in terms of muscle mass. And, you know, you look at some guys who are just as tall as me and they're a lot thicker, a lot faster and stronger, and you're like, okay. Like, I need to do something else to make money in this world because, Mm -hmm. again, uh, the GMs in the NBA are not going to be dialing up my number. And um, it wasn't – it was just sort of a gradual decline. Like, I still play basketball today. I love it. It's great for networking and exercise and all that. I don't know. Again, I, I would, I'll use the term aimless. I was aimless from about 16 to 20 because I didn't really know much about myself. I didn't know how the world worked. I still don't really know how the world works in all honesty, although I think I have a decent idea. And yeah, man, that, that was just, that was my sort of moment of like, okay, let's, let's try to figure something out. What changed? Was there a moment in you from high school, then going to college where things changed? Was it a confidence thing? Did you find more confidence along the way? I definitely did because I got older, got some facial hair, dropped the acne without really doing anything. And kind of what's perhaps most critical to that is what started me on my journey was I took a couple film courses when I was going to community college at North Hennepin over in Brooklyn Park. This is prior to me going to St. Cloud State, but I took a couple film courses and they were amazing in the sense of I watched these kind of historically relevant movies that were very interesting, had a lot of things to say, whether it was political or social. And then the class was like, okay, we're going to have discussions about this. We're going to do assignments around this. We're going to write papers around this. And I'm like, wow, this is a class? Like, this is fun. Yeah. And so I ended up going to St. Cloud State majoring in film studies. And it was the same thing where it was like, you know, a film studies degree is worthless in terms of getting a job. But Mm -hmm. the, the actual education itself You know, I learned a lot about people. I learned how to communicate effectively. I learned how to read and write at a high level. Um, It's a great program. The professors there, shout out to those guys. Go Huskies. But, um, again, not advocating for anyone to go get a film studies degree because it's not going to land you a job. But if you are fortunate enough, like I was, where I didn't have to, like, take out loans to go to school, then, yeah, you know, like, it's a good route to go. Anything within the liberal arts, which is kind of a tangent, but that's started me on the path where I sort of fell in love with art movies, writing, reading, books, etc. And it's led me to today. And I know I'm kind of skipping probably some crucial elements to the story, but... Quentin Super, my guest here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. So you feel like you found yourself after high school. You you got to, you mentioned St. Cloud State. You go there and isn't college an amazing experience? Not in terms of like 
finding debt and, and things like that, but finding people like-minded people and not that everybody that should be your friend in life has to have the same likes as you and the same dislikes as you, but to encounter people that have the same passions as you, I think is an eye-opening experience when you, you mentioned film and, and writing and, and books and all of these common interests, because that's not necessarily exposed a lot in in high school. A lot of times kids that maybe are interested in cinema or interested in books or writing, I don't know, maybe, maybe those things aren't as cool for a lot of people. But then you go to college and it's like, hey, a lot of these ideas are embraced and it's it's something cool and there's like-minded people and you sort of find yourself there. In a sense you do. Like, you're right. There's a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds who go to college. Like, um, some of my best friends from college who are still some of my best friends today, they're from Wisconsin. They're from a small town in South Dakota. So you meet all different types, you know, not just domestically, but people who are from different countries who go to school there. But to be honest, like, I lost myself when I went to college, Trevor, in the sense of, and that's probably what ended up helping me find myself later on, but, you know, prior to that, I was just a normal kid. Like, I didn't really drink that much. You know, I wasn't too involved with women. Um, My focus was more on just, you know, playing basketball recreationally and getting my associate's degree. But I went to college, and, you know, all of a sudden, like, the ability to drink Grey Goose on the (laughs) weekends... That was there for whatever reason. A lot of women were interested in me, and I took advantage of that. Not gonna lie, you would see, on the surface say, "Well, that's awesome," but it, you know, it wasn't necessarily something I'd recommend someone does. It was fun, no doubt, but I don't think it made me a better person. But it was part of that self-discovery journey, and you know, I, that's where another element of the story started. Is I met a guy, we started to do some bike trips around the St. Cloud area, and within a few months, we were biking, you know, 120 miles. Both ways, I should say. We're biking from St. Cloud to Brainerd, getting a hotel room, biking back, going to Alexandria, going back. And that led to sort of the beginning of a trip where we, during our spring break, had ridden our bicycles from St. Cloud to Winnipeg. And as you can imagine, in the winter, riding a bicycle uh, further north is not really ideal. That's why most people go to like a Cancun, a Cabo, um, a Fort Lauderdale, just to escape the winter. But yeah, I I won't ramble too long. That was... Yeah, college was a lot of self-discovery, both good and bad. You've also lived in Beijing and spent time in over 15 other countries. How did you end up in Beijing? Ni hao. Um, (laughs) How did I end up in Beijing? So I had just got done with a different cycling trip where after grad school, my buddy and I biked out to Portland, Maine over the course of seven weeks. And I, once that was finished, I was back at my parents' house. I'm sitting in the chair in the living room watching Wheel of Fortune, scrolling through Facebook, multitasking like a true millennial. <laughs> and all of a sudden this ad pops up on, on my computer, on my Facebook feed. It says, do you want to live in China? And it has this like really romantic photo with these obviously like, it's, it's clearly curated to attract eyeballs and attention. So being me, like I click on it because why would I not want to live in China? And there was like a six question questionnaire that I filled out. And the next night, I'm sitting in the same chair, scrolling through the same Facebook feed, and I get a call from a Beijing number, and, you know, I go into the back room to answer it, and seven months later, like, I was touching down at Peking International Airport. Was it scary living in China, or no? No. China's the safest place in the world. Where did your love of of travel come from, do you think? I don't know. 
That's a good question. I think it was probably just naturally ingrained in me mm-hmm. in the sense of I remember being a little kid and like I would talk to my cousin. I'm like, hey, we should go on our bikes and we should like go camping in the woods. I had no idea how this was ever going to obviously come to fruition, but like I just had these ideas and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, or I remember I met like my cousin's boyfriend one time who had a boat and he lived on the Mississippi River. And I was like, hey, we should like take your boat and ride all the way down the Mississippi River. Like, I, I don't even think that's possible. I'm sure there's like yeah. <laughs> dams or things that would get in the way. But my head was like, let's go do it because that would be cool. Um, so I think, again, like I always just had this sort of natural propensity to want to travel without even realizing it. But again, like if people around you aren't doing it, if no one's encouraging you to do it, it's not going to happen. And mm-hmm. so the older I got, like, you know, I remember my mom would say like, well, you can't go to New Zealand because like for a friend's wedding, like that's plane tickets are too expensive i'm like oh yeah they kind of are and so biking was kind of the vehicle to do that because it's like well hey like i don't need to pay any money to ride my bicycle from st cloud to brainerd i just need to pay for the hotel room and if you know you go to the shitty roadway in and split that with your buddy it's like 30 (laughs) dollars a pop yeah yeah i mean i didn't pay a lot of money to go to china like they paid for my ticket over there all those things like i was just out of school so i had no money but I like it's sort of the power of persistency in that I wanted to go to these places, was definitely not well off, but I figured out a way to do it. But I was also just advantageous of like whatever circumstances had come about. So what did you do for work there? I was an English teacher in okay. China. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I was basically just a degenerate moonlighting as an English teacher. Like my <laughs> motivations to go over there were just yeah. to have a good time. Yeah. But because uh, dude, like I don't want to teach. Like I don't really like spending time in a room with twenty kids, being like, "All right, everyone, pay attention. Stop throwing paper airplanes around." You know, like we got to practice the ABCs or whatever the f we were doing. Yeah. Um, even where I worked, I worked for a massive corporation, and so it was pretty. There's a lot of bureaucratic rituals that ensued, namely like, hey, we got to do this for like corporate. I'm like, oh God, I hate this. But I was really good at like pushing back, whereas all the other sheep were just very, very happy. Like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. Just I need my drinking money when when payday comes at the end of the month. Is China your favorite among the places you've been? I don't know if I have a favorite, but China's definitely up there. Like, you know, I talk about this a lot, but China gets such a bad rap in the media for like communism and things like that. But if you go there, like to a city like Beijing or Shanghai, that's basically an American city. Like, mm-hmm. it's full blown capitalism. Um, that city's, again, both cities very safe. Like, I remember stumbling home drunk at like 3 a.m. often in Beijing and never had to worry about someone pickpocketing me or sticking a gun in my face. Yeah, <laughs> probably not like the highlight of my time there, yeah. but my point being is like, it was just super safe. Like it was to the point where I, I think the penalty if you had got caught with marijuana was like 20 years in jail. Like that's how like afraid people were to like break mm-hmm. the laws. You know, I was always, I always operated within the legality of, of China, but yeah, China's a great place. I highly recommend anyone go there if they get the opportunity, great culture, great people, yeah, there's certain things you can't do, but it's not nothing that impedes your life. Give our listeners a non-tourist trap hidden gem that you would recommend. Most people, when they think of China or Beijing or Shanghai, they have these visions of like, well, I have to go see this or I have to go see that. And everyone goes there. So if someone's going to Beijing, give them a place that they're probably they've never heard of, but you would highly recommend to see. Great question. Yeah, do not go to the Great Wall, even though everyone will, because they're just basic, much like me. Because uh, it's just literally a wall, and then they put a much like the Eiffel Tower in Paris. They put a bunch of tourist traps around there to try to take your money. So it's not special. It's not unique. It is literally just a wall. 
sort of an unknown gem, although it's not really that unknown, is there's a brewery slash restaurant called Jinghe, which we just stumbled upon one day, but it, we always would go there, we'd get burgers, we'd get Moscow mules, we'd get absolutely turned, uh, just had a great <laughs> conversation after work on Sunday nights, and uh, that's the hidden gem. So if you're in Beijing, like I think they got other locations in China, but go to Jinghe, it's like stuck in an alley, it's super romantic, the lighting, like even as I talk about it, I sort of get nostalgic because it was just a cool place like it's, it's really nothing special just a cool spot but yeah. because of the people i went with and the memories i created i'm like yep jingay that's the spot quentin super here on the trevor j brown show so you've interviewed a ton of interesting people so who is on your wish list of people you'd like to interview at some point in your life i don't have any you know like if you were to say like hey like would you like to speak with lebron james about his basketball career sure Absolutely. But I'm just on a journey, man. Like much like you, Trevor, I want to talk to interesting people, Mm -hmm. but I'm not setting my sights on like, I got to talk to 45, like Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Like I'll talk to whomever. Well, not whomever. I'll talk to anyone who's interesting. What would you say is your mission with these interviews you publish on your site? It's to bring value to people. I love what you do, Trevor. I love podcasts. Like I like talking to people. I don't know anyone who's doing what I'm doing, which mm-hmm. is, hey, let's do an interview. But instead of like just publishing that interview, I'm going to write a story about who you are and then about your business, if you're a business owner, or basically whatever professional value you bring to the marketplace. And that like, because I enjoy, I enjoy writing. I'm, I try to listen to podcasts, but I'd much rather read a book. And so I'm just bringing my unique skill set to the marketplace. I'm not saying that I'm the best writer in the world or anything like that. I'm just Quentin Super, like... I'm quite literally an open book. By the end of this year, I'll have three memoirs published. People will know the good, bad, and ugly about me. And a lot of people are attracted to that. A lot of people are like, hey, this guy's crazy. I don't really like him for X, Y, and Z reasons. I totally understand both. But that's what I'm trying to do, is I'm trying to bring a written element to storytelling that I think has been forgotten in our society. I And I think it's doing something because you're passionate about it. I mean, I, I'll be the first to tell you. There's a million podcasts. And in a way, podcasts have jumped the shark because for every podcast that is great, you have 500 that aren't great. And am I the best uh, podcaster of all time? Ah, no, absolutely not. You can tell from our audio quality of of how we're recording here. We're very close to a a public roadway here uh, in, in downtown Zimmerman. So you can probably hear some of the traffic as big trucks you know, go by. It is what it is. That's what we are at this point. We don't have a professional office space or a professional studio. And some people will understand that. And some people will say, boy, that sucks. You know, whatever. You can shut it off. People nowadays, though, when you chase your passions, a lot of people are, are fearful of that because it's it's scary going out to start your own business or going out to write a book or going to, to start your own thing. That can be very scary and scary things are fearful and people don't want to be associated with fear. But what I tell people and what I told you when you interviewed me was you don't need permission to do what you want to do. You don't need permission to write that book. You don't need permission anymore to start a podcast or start your own business. If that is your passion, dive in 100%, do it, continue to evolve. It's only going to get better and uh, and take pride in your work and and at the end of the day don't get hung up on the seeking the validation of strangers thousand percent even my own mother lover to death 
you know, it's like every time I go over there, like, okay, how is how's the website evolving? Like, are you making good money yet? Um, <laughs> you know, even she, I think, if you were truly ask her, doesn't believe that what I do will one day be a, a sustainable business. But I don't resent her for that. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she's she's concerned with security and money and like. Yeah. I don't blame her. I, I don't blame her. Uh, but I'm confident in what I do. I've been doing this for seven years. Every year, I see incremental progress. This past year, I've made a huge jump. It would almost be foolish to stop now because the momentum is just so strong. I also understand why people would be reluctant to want to pursue a dream because when, before my first book came out, I had trouble sleeping, Trevor. Like, I was nervous. I was anxious. You know, I'm like, oh, people are going to judge me, da, da, da. Well, you know, you go through that process and then fast forward to today, you know, I have a lot of things going on. I'm not even excited about this third book coming out, meaning <laughs> I know what to expect and it'll be fun when it comes out, but I'm not nervous. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I really just, whoever like doesn't like it, that's totally fine. Like my willingness or desire to publish this book, it, I'm not asking for anyone's approval or, or validation, but I want to create a really good piece of art, much like I do every week with my interviews that genuinely bring value to people. And so to the people out there who are, again, reluctant, reticent to go and pursue that dream, just do it. Like you're gonna die someday. I'm gonna die someday. Might as well spend this time in this beautiful country, which I know people rail on, but we live in the best country in the world where opportunities are endless. Take advantage of it and just go do something with your life. You won't regret it. What is the best advice that you can give someone who wants to build their brand, build their business? Start today on social media, posting about whatever it is you think is relevant to what you're doing. Be re- be ruthless and relentless with that and be consistent. But the biggest thing is be authentic. You and I have talked about this, Trevor. It's very easy to see when someone's being inauthentic, mm-hmm. when they are disseminating information or stories that you can tell, okay, this is falsified or this is completely exaggerated. Just be who you are. You know, People will like that or they won't. It's inevitable. But you will attract the people who like it And that will be so rewarding because you're doing it being authentic as opposed to putting up a caricature of who you think people want you to be. I don't know. I mean, Gary Vee has this line, what is it? Something to the effect of like, people will buy a $10,000 suit to try to impress people they don't even like. You know, it's like... (laughs) That's true. Don't do that. Just Mm -hmm. be who you are. And again, a lot of people probably won't appreciate that, but that's fine because the ones who ultimately are attracted to that, you'll value those relationships and never want to let them go. In terms of evolution in business, what does that mean to you? It means constantly looking for ways to improve, which can in itself be toxic because you're never satisfied. But businesses die. You know, I think it was like some of the Fortune 500 companies from even 50 years ago. I think there's a large percentage of them that are no longer in business, meaning the world's competitive, business is competitive. And you should be constantly looking to strive to improve, to better your product, to bring more value to people. But even as I say that, I say this to myself as well as embrace where you're at, you know, appreciate the work that you've done. But again, you're never where you're never where you should be. There's always something you can learn. It'd be very dangerous, whether that's as an entrepreneur, a business person, or just a human to say, you know what, I know everything I need to know. I think I've seen it all. No, you haven't. And you never will. And that's fine. Just embrace sort of that fluidity of life that will constantly keep you on your toes yeah what got you at to point a won't get you to point b and the same things won't get you to c to d it has to be constantly looking forward 
having that that evolution and but also remembering you you hit up a, a good point the victories i think it's important to stop smell the roses as as people like to to say and and celebrate the wins because if you don't celebrate the wins then it just kind of becomes mundane and no fun i, th- I think it's important to celebrate the the, the victories Oh yeah, you know you don't have to rent out a room at you know a luxurious restaurant to celebrate the win, but you know treat yourself to a mm-hmm. smoothie at the gym or whatever, or you know whatever your definition of a of a celebration is, do it. Like after this, you know we're gonna go grab some food. To me, that's a celebration. You know, it's not me going on Facebook and being like, I just did a podcast with mm-hmm. Trevor. Like, you know that wouldn't even be a bad thing to do because you're promoting what your business is and you know the value you bring, but. Like, just embrace the moment. It's so difficult to do and something that I struggle with even, but, um, you know, living with a healthy sense of urgency and doing what you want to do right now, not next year, not next week, but right now and taking those active steps, that in itself is almost a celebration because you're on the journey. We're not just going to grab food after. We actually got two first-class tickets. We're heading to that bar in Beijing. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me excited. uh, Don't tempt me with a good time. If I went back there, it'd be like the wild, wild west all over again. Do you have like a a model with your business? How do you take the time to to unplug and remind yourself like, hey, I I need some me time. How do you relax? I don't relax, which is bad. Like the fun things I do is like I play basketball. I play volleyball people who I play volleyball with are currently angry at me because I'm super competitive and I'm always (laughs) trying to win. And, you know, I remember, well, this was a couple weeks ago, but I started like chirping a little bit, you know, like talking a little bit of shit. And, you know, again, this is like recreational pickup volleyball. Like this is not qualifying for the Olympics, but I just like, I want to, anything I do, I want to do it well. And, you know, people were just lackadaisical and I got emotional and said some things that were completely not necessary. No, you know, nothing personal or whatever, but I say that to say I don't relax, Trevor. And uh, maybe a, maybe one day when I get married I'll be able to, but right now I'm just kind of an intense spaz. Do you have a favorite film? I would say Citizen Kane, if you've ever heard of that. It's yeah. a, an Orson Welles movie. The thing that, the takeaway I always have with that movie is he, at the end of his life, he has all these material things, but he, I think the woman he was with at the time leaves him. And so ultimately he, I think he dies with all this, all these possessions in his mansion, but he doesn't actually have anything. And uh, that's kind of stuck with me. It's like, okay, working hard is great, but what's the point? And for me, it's not to acquire things. It's more than anything else to just experience all the things I can possibly experience in my short time on this planet, but then also have an impact on people. And I lose sight of that sometimes where I kind of just get too much in my own head. I'm too focused on, you know, getting better and not setting clear destinations. But yeah, I certainly, I don't chase things. I don't think anyone should because they don't give a good or proper ROI. Well, I appreciate you coming in. It's fascinating to talk to you and uh, we'll definitely have you back on another edition of the program. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you as well. Thank you. Quentin Super. You can check out all the amazing interviews and other content on his website, quentinsuper.com. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. Now time for Trevor's parting gift. Have you heard the term return on investment or ROI? In business, return on investment is an approximate measure of an investment's profitability. It is calculated by subtracting the initial cost of the investment from its final value, then dividing this number by the cost of the investment, and finally, multiplying it by 100. 
Too many numbers for me. I was never a math guy. I'm talking about ROI within relationships. This refers to the ratio of what you've gained or lost against what you've invested into the relationship. This is not about financial or material gain or loss. Think about your relationships. If you don't put the work in, what will you get out of it? How will it get better? If your marriage is on the rocks, perhaps you go to counseling. If you're struggling with weight, perhaps you see your doctor, start eating better, and go to the gym a few days a week. Life would be so much easier if we could just wish away our problems, or if there was some magic pill for that problem, but you know what? There isn't. Change starts with us. We can only control what we can control, yet, and I'm guilty of this too, we often let others dictate our daily emotions. So what can we do? As much as we can only control what we can control, ourselves, that is the point. When it comes to return on investment in the world of business, it's the same. You can only control what you can control. So with that said, look at your current client roster. Look at your prospects. Even if you do everything right, do you see anyone or organization that doesn't value you? Perhaps they don't respect your time. Do you schedule meetings with clients and they're always late? Or better yet, they don't even show up? Do they offer to do things for you yet never follow through? At the end of the day, call it like it is. These people aren't authentic. They're not the real deal. They're posers. Where at one point or another, they gathered a bunch of cool techniques from some business seminar they paid for with some of their other poser business friends. And now they roll out these techniques. And to most, it looks impressive. But I ask you this. When people don't follow through, when people are always late or changing plans, what is your return on investment? This isn't to say you need to be selfish and just think of yourself. Again, you can't control others. So what can you do? Well, for starters, as the great John Taffer says, don't bullshit yourself. Crush the excuses that are holding you back. That's the name of a book that he wrote, and I highly recommend it, especially if you need a pick-me-up, morale boost for you and your business life. Don't lower your standards. You are putting in the work. Now is not the time to sacrifice your convictions, your good communication, and your standards. At the end of the day, there is nothing wrong with saying bon voyage to these posers, these jokers, these imposters. Just because they can fool the masses doesn't mean they need to fool you. You wouldn't be friends with someone who constantly made fun of you. You wouldn't go to the doctor who would give you bad medical advice. You wouldn't go to a mechanic that couldn't fix your car. So why would you do business with people who are late? or never show up? Why would you do business with people who never keep their word? Why would you settle for anyone who is not authentic? Because when you do, even if you keep your word, even if you show up on time, even if you are authentic, a little bit of your shine dulls when you settle. Respect is a two-way street, and when it is not reciprocated, well, then you have your answer. Is that person or business you are working with worth all that time and effort you are investing? What is your 
return on investment. The best interviews, the best commentary. This is the best of the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the Inherent Dream Podcast Network, home to 763, The Local Morning Show, and The Trevor J. Brown Show. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Like at facebook.com slash inherent dream and follow us on X at Inherent Dream.